0: It's deja vu all over again when it comes to vaping and our youth. These puff bars
1: are clearly getting around a regulation that was trying to prevent people from using a specific product that had flavors, especially youth, and has essentially made this regulation
0: obsolete and not effective. Vaping is also evolving into non-nicotine products, like vitamins. The faster you can get a pharmacological effect, the faster you can feel the
1: effect of a drug, whatever it is, that those positive effects that drug tends to be more addictive than others, too. So they're making vitamins, potentially in a way, more addictive than taking them in a pill form.
0: And the evolution continues with essential oils.
2: I think there's a risk in inhaling things when we don't know the long-term exposure. It's a substantial risk given how sensitive our lungs are. And essential oils, uh, that just sounds on its face like a terrible idea.
0: I'm Rich Klindworth, and we're tackling vaping for a second time on Episode 7 of Talk Like a Pirate. I'm joined now with two vaping experts from ECU's College of Health and Human Performance, Associate Professor, Dr. Joseph Lee, and Assistant Professor, Dr. Eric Sewell. Thank you all for joining us for the second time here on Talk Like a Pirate. Thanks for
2: having us. It's a pleasure.
0: We have so much new stuff when it comes to vaping to talk about, but let's do a little bit of a recap from what we talked about last fall when we had all the vaping illnesses going around. What is the latest from what you all have found? Eric, I'm trying to remember if we they actually had a, a name for the condition uh,
1: or at that point in time, but now, of course, we have the name e-Valley or electronic cigarette vaping um, associated lung injury, and um, we have, I think we're seeing what's close to the end of this specific epidemic. Um, and the CDC has pretty conclusively identified that there were specific products that involved uh, the use of a chemical, vitamin E acetates, as a product that could be used as a solvent essentially for uh, a lot of THC liquids too. And so for whatever reason, that was something, a chemical that appears to have been causing these lung injuries acutely in a very short period of time. Um, and so I think that now they're aware of the specific brands that were um, that were using this approach and, um, and one of them that comes to mind is dank vapes was a big one and those are uh, have identi- identified and um, and now people are knowing not to purchase those and they're trying to get those off of the market as well and so now those those uh, illnesses from that specific epidemic have been decreasing and I think the, the number that finally we finished that was around 60 deaths related to it and over 2,000 um, cases total. Is there anything else in there that I think I can't remember? specific things with related to that.
2: No, I, I think you covered it.
1: Mostly, t- but the specific THC, I think, was they were all, uh, uh, most of these cases involve THC, um, that's people using this vitamin E acetate, which is also a product that you might find in other, um, you know, you know, human or products that you find like in the drugstore and whatnot, and so lotions and other things too.
2: It's effectively an oil, right?
1: Essentially, I think that they use it as a, as a solvent to, um, to put things on, you know, and but yes, like some type of an oil or a dissolving
2: agent. And we know that breathing oils into your lungs is particularly not good. Right.
0: One of the things that came out of it is the FDA did this clampdown that the fun flavored things, like what was one of them, unicorn puke or something like that, they don't do those for the mainstream vaping anymore.
1: Well, I mean, that's I, some may call it a clamp down. I don't know that I would necessarily call it a clamp down um, because you could very easily still get this, the unicorn puke or any of those flavors. The specific regulation that was put into place was uh, to ban all flavors besides tobacco and menthol in what they call cartridge-based electronic cigarette products. They were really targeting some of the products that were most, you know, popular among youth, specifically Juul, I think, and. So because that was a characteristic of them is that they had a cartridge or a pod, they made a specific regulation that was targeting that product or those types of products. But any other product that doesn't use a cartridge can still have any of the flavors, the
0: more than 15,000 flavors that are available
1: with electronic cigarette liquids.
0: But the media that was coming out was that they weren't selling this stuff anymore.
2: Joseph? I mean, it's the, the FDA's regulations are not as strong as they could have been, I think is the big picture. So there are still flavors on the market. It's all tied up in like the technical details of the device characteristics. Um, it's, it's really, from my perspective, kind of a disappointing exercise of FDA's authority.
1: Yeah, I think that they knew what they were trying to balance was preventing youth from using was the big thing. The focus was preventing youth from using. Um, Electronic cigarettes. And they were, I believe, concerned because I think the FDA has had for a long time been saying that cigarette smokers who are looking to quit smoking and have tried everything else should consider using uh, electronic cigarettes as as a replacement product instead. That's been their stance. And so I think they were trying to, uh, this is my interpretation of what they were doing, that they were trying to balance keeping flavors around for adult cigarette smokers that claim that they need them or want them if they have you know to switch to a different product with the fact that there were youth using most predominantly these cartridge-based or pod-based products that had all these same flavors too and so the idea was that if we can target only the ones that kids are using, they can allow adult cigarette smokers to have access to these flavors that um, many have reported have been helpful with them as far as a a smoking cessation or a way to get away from cigarettes.
2: FDA is still trying to walk this fine line of preventing youth uptake, which they've failed at, and allowing e-cigarettes, vaping products to be used as cessation options for adults who smoke, which sort of makes sense, except, there's not that great evidence from my perspective that they're that helpful in cessation.
1: Yeah, indeed. I mean, even the CDC is still maintaining that these are not approved products for smoking cessation and that people should not look at them as smoking cessation products too. So big names in the, um, uh, you know, Brian King is one of the people that has been really uh, leading some of these analyses of electronic cigarette use and tobacco use. And he has kind of said publicly that Smokers should not be looking at these as smoking cessation as they're not approved for that method and still continue to promote those same resources that we often do as well.
2: You just had, I think in our last conversation, we talked about the uh, 95% less harmful statistic and you just had a paper come out in the top journal in the field, Eric, sort of trying to take that statistic out of use.
1: Yes, you can Google right now. 95 percent less harmful, and the first thing that will come up is something related to electronic cigarettes being 95 percent less harmful than cigarettes. We did not want to make a specific harm claim, say that electronic cigarettes are X percent less harmful or more harmful or as harmful as cigarette smoking. But what we really were trying to do in the paper in the American Journal of Public Health was to identify the research, the evidence, the data that have been you know accumulating since that. Claim was originally made in 2013. That we know more that there are harms that are associated with, uh, you know, e cigarette use, and that we have data now that we didn't have available back when that claim was made. And so, even if that was that claim that didn't have any evidence to support it at that time was accurate, it can't be right today. And we really need to continue to evaluate the evidence to figure out the harms that are associated with e-cigarettes, which we still don't know. It takes years and years before we finally know the long-term effects of
0: using these products. And I guess they're looked at as disposable e-cigarettes. Is that how they get around it? Because it's called disposable? Um,
1: They get around it because they don't have what would be considered a cartridge. Now, I don't know what the definition of a cartridge is, if that's if a pod versus a tank versus something. There's all these different terminology that I think that's there needs to be guidance on. But essentially what we're seeing now is some of these products that are often referred to as puff bars or... Essentially they very much mimic a Juul, the same products that they were trying to prevent youth from using, but they no longer have a pod that is replaceable or a cartridge that's replaceable when you run out. And instead the entire device that's about the same size and shape of of a Juul is a one-time use. You use it until you run out of liquid and I think they often claim that there's around 200 to 400 puffs depending on the product. And when you finish it, you throw it out and you get a new one, but because they don't have a cartridge. There is no, the ban on, on flavors on uh, cartridge-based electronic cigarette products doesn't apply. So these products come in watermelon, strawberry, any of the flavors that would be banned in otherwise a very almost identical products.
0: According to a New York Times article last month, those puff bars are less expensive than the Juuls.
1: Yeah, I can't remember exactly the prices are, but they have Have you been into the shops to see what their, their costs are there?
2: I don't know that off the top of my head, but I do know we have so much accumulated evidence that price matters to behavior and it really matters even more to young people and youth behavior so if the products that are now on the market that are flavored because of the regulation are cheaper i'm we're probably undermining our efforts to reduce youth uptake of these
1: it's the same reason why we have a minimum number of cigarettes per pack. You have to sell cigarettes in a pack of 20 because it makes them more expensive, and therefore people where price matters, as Joseph is talking about, that you, just, you may not be able to afford those, and so you may go without those instead. Whereas these puff bars that are now, um, I think that I've seen some of these for less than ten dollars, you can go buy them, and then when you're done you throw them out and you go buy another one. It's, um, which then also creates the issue of we are now creating so much more electronic waste and potentially biohazard waste as well, too, because you can't guarantee that all the nicotine and the chemicals that are inside of them are removed. And so not knowing where those things are going to end up, whether they end up in a landfill, whether they end up in, you know, just thrown on the grounds, um, that can lead to some issues that we haven't really even considered very much yet.
0: Or possibly even maybe the black market, people trying to refill the disposable ones.
1: Absolutely. Um, Right now, we're actually working on a project where we're asking people a similar type of question, where if we removed products from the market that would not allow them to refill their products with liquid, what would they do? And um, many e users seem to identify that they would try to break a system to allow themselves to refill it. And, and there's, you can go on YouTube right now and there's tutorials on how to do that with some of these other products already. I haven't seen it for these puff bars yet, but I know for some products like the Jewel, for instance, you can go on and figure out how to refill it, which is not what the product was designed for.
0: When it comes to these puff bars, not only do they have the attractive flavors, but there's also an attractive amount of nicotine in it?
1: Well, I don't know what attractive necessarily means to the users, but I would say they absolutely have one of the highest concentrations of nicotine of um, products that are available on the market right now. You know, nicotine comes in... Various concentrations, depending on the types of devices that people are using. Um, Juul, which at one point in time had one of the highest nicotine concentrations on the market, they advertised at five percent nicotine or fifty milligrams per milliliter. You know, laboratory tests has actually shown it higher than that. But these puff bars have even a higher nicotine concentration than that, around um, some of these having as high as 7% or 70 milligrams per milliliter. And they also use uh, these chemicals or these type of nicotine known as nicotine salts, which make the nicotine more palatable, easier to inhale. And then if you can inhale more nicotine with um, less aerosol or less puffs, then you can get a lot of nicotine into your body and per- perhaps you know, increase the likelihood of addiction as well.
2: Yeah, to me, the bottom line on those, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that really increases the risk that even a couple uses of these products will get someone addicted earlier, faster, more addicted. Is that fair?
1: I think so. I mean, if you are if you have a way that you can inhale more deeply or if you can inhale and get a lot of a drug into your body quickly and you can feel those potential positive rewarding effects, the more you can get in there quickly and experience those effects the faster you're going to be able to
0: develop that addiction. So sticking with these puff bars we had just talked about how it seems like the issue that we had in the fall with people getting sick left and right over vaping seems to have maybe leveled off or plateaued since it was possibly an isolated incident, will that give others a false sense of security? Oh, let's go back to these puff vapes or go back to the jewels. Joseph?
2: I mean, I I think in the absence of effective federal regulation, we're going to have the same problem again when some other small manufacturer does something wonky with their formula, that they don't know what's going to happen, that there's not proper scientific or any other controls on. And so we'll see another bad batch or poorly designed or incorrectly designed batch of products at some point in the future, especially as the marijuana products roll out. I mean, there's going to be even less regulation of them. And the combination of that with the sensitivity of people's lungs, I mean, it different types of chemicals that can be used for these products. If I were a betting person, I would bet on seeing another outbreak like this.
1: And it may not look the same too. It could be because there's so little regulation, it's just difficult to know what somebody might try and what the products are going to look like where somebody might try something different too. I think there's some sense of if you see a product that you can buy on the shelf, you have to think that to some extent it's reasonably safe. I mean, even though it's n- these, none of these products are considered FDA approved, as a consumer, if you go to a store, you have to assume that's reasonably safe, this isn't going to hurt me. So if they're available, I think there's that kind of tacit just assumption that it's it's safe. But I mean, there was actually just an editorial that was published in a leading journal looking at lung health, respiratory health, that's talking about these EVALI type illnesses. While there's a specific isolated incident that appears to be going on with some of these tainted bootleg liquids that include this vitamin E acetate compounds, we've seen similar types of these cases since as far back as 2012. And there may be something that is common to these products. Perhaps the vegetable glycerin may be something. um, As Joseph had said, vaping oils is never, or inhaling oils is never a, a good thing to be doing. And we may start to see That perhaps there could be e-cigarette users that are either asymptomatic or they're minor enough symptoms that they may not be going to the doctor for something like this. And so the concern I have sometimes is that now that we perhaps have identified this small outbreak of the valley, what's going on, does that give people a false sense of security that, okay, well, now we've gotten rid of the bad products. And the only ones that are left there are the completely safe ones, and so we just don't know that right now.
0: Or the health and wellness ones that seem like they are popping up right now because they don't have nicotine in them, because they are doing vitamins. I guess this is the new wave. And what what are we calling these vaporizers? And what's the difference between a vape pen, and a vaporizer? Is it just marketing?
2: That's all you. To <laughs>
0: <think>. <laughs> they, I, we. Well,
1: this is actually what we run into a lot of times is that I, I call all products e-cigarettes or e-cigs. But that's just a big term for anything that uses a heater to aerosolize some kind of a liquid. It's not as nearly as, you know, fun-sounding phrase, but that's it's just to simplify, we lump them together as e-cigs. But for these, I've heard them referred to as Vita-cigs, vitamin vapes. Um, but I think they've been around for a little while, but perhaps maybe getting a, a new marketing resurgence. I don't know what's going on. But yes, people are now trying to... Um, to vape their vitamins instead of taking them in a pill or other form.
2: And what is is your advice for them on that?
1: If you're going to take vitamins, it seems like that we have a lot of information about taking vitamins, the safety of them by in pill form. Um, I'm not quite sure why somebody would want to do it in, in inhaled form. Um, but currently, this we don't have any safety information about this. So I would say I would stay away from vitamin uh, vapes at this point in time.
0: Well, one of the ones that seems to be popular right now is a vape with melatonin in it to help you fall asleep. There's a recent article in Rolling Stone, and one of the comments on it, why someone would want to vape it, is so that it hits your bloodstream faster and you do not have to use as much of a dose. Thus, you could fall asleep quicker for people who have insomnia.
2: That is one of the reasons why vape products and cigarettes are so addictive. It really is a very effective route into your body to go through your lungs. problem is just your lungs are also very sensitive and complicated parts of your body and bad things can happen like by exposing them to an unknown series of chemicals or a known series of toxic chemicals. It's one of the challenges of smoking cessation research is like the patches, I mean they're just very slow in delivering nicotine compared to the speed you get it when you inhale it into your lungs. But the risk that comes with all of that is also, I would say, pretty substantial or worrisome.
1: What Joseph is talking about is that the faster you can get a pharmacological effect, the faster you can feel the effect of a drug, whatever it is, That those positive effects, that drug tends to be more addictive than others too. So they're making vitamins potentially in a way more addictive than taking them in a pill form or some other way to get them too. Yeah.
2: Even if they're not addictive though, the way you're inhaling them can come with other right, side effects. Right, absolutely.
1: Well. Yes. And we don't know. Once again, if, if if these technically they are not tobacco products because they don't contain nicotine, they don't contain products, something derived from tobacco. But the mechanisms, the 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 liquids that they're using to dissolve the vitamins into as solvents, they're essentially the same. They're just missing one of those ingredients of nicotine. So I imagine that we would probably see some similar effects, whatever those may be, from e-cigs that contain nicotine, as we would see with some of these vitamin
0: um, e-cigarettes or these vit- that e-cigarette products that contain dissolved uh, vitamins or other minerals. So one of the things that I thought was interesting with these devices is there's a company, I'm not sure how it's pronounced, I don't know if it's Monk or M-O-N-Q because all four letters are capitalized. They are vaping these essential oils and you can buy a personal diffuser online with Urban Outfitters and it's under their Lifestyles tab online. And it's also under health and wellness. And the CEO and founder, Eric Fishman, MD of Monk or M-O-N-Q, in a release from PR Newswire says that their products are, quote, a means of helping consumers achieve
2: a natural wellness lifestyle. End quote thoughts on that it makes my lungs hurt that's my first <laughs> thought the second is i i mean again i think there's a risk in inhaling things when we don't know the long-term exposure it's a substantial risk given how sensitive our lungs are and essential oils oh, that just sounds on its face like a terrible idea I, i've seen on their website they say you should not inhale it you should just sort of breathe it in into your mouth and exhale it through your nose without breathing it into your lungs but that seems, I don't know, there seems like some risk there that it, it may not always, I don't know, hopefully that message is getting out. I
0: smoked, but I didn't inhale. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. That sounds familiar. No, they. Um, <laughs> but but the thing about this too is, when we go back to that E Valley, those ca- those um, cases that we saw there, it seemed to be that potentially there's what Joseph Thompson inhaling that oil, having some of these cases looking like something called lipoid pneumonia, where essentially you have some outside source of oils being introduced into the lung, and causing all kinds of problems, you know, in users, and they essentially people were getting sick. It wasn't just they were having issues, coughing, whatnot, but actually getting fevers and and getting these acute, serious illnesses. And if you're introducing essential oils and doing the same type of thing, I don't quite understand where there's, there's this disconnect between. What we're seeing there is, that, well, those are the bad vapes that had vitamin D acetate, but but essential oils are probably okay. And so there is, I've tried to do a little bit of research on this to understand that how vitamin or how essential oils are actually created and what they're using, because there's alcohols involved with them too. And it just, these things are complicated in that we don't know what happens when we inhale these things too. And I will point out too, because I wanted to try to figure out what was going on with some of these products. And so there was another company that I found called uh, Vitamin Vapes, and they, have, they make available B12 vapes and they have on their page on their web page something about their scientific review you know like if you have frequently asked questions we have a peer-reviewed scientific research that tells you why this is a great way to deliver vitamin b12 well I checked it out and the scientific research that they're pulling from was from 1953 and it involved administration of b12 to three individuals using a solution that they weren't even using in their products so they were using as a primary delivery agents vegetable glycerin and their vitamins their b12 what they were using in the the studies that they were citing were completely different liquids that they were um, essentially using to deliver their b12 so they're trying to make this sounds scientific we've done our research but that wasn't anything that their group had done they were just pulling something from before and at the same time i think uh, joseph and i have been talking about this What it demonstrated was that you can deliver B12, but it didn't demonstrate anything about the safety of inhaling B12
0: in that approach or that method. One of the things that I thought was interesting is how it's marketed. Achieve a natural wellness lifestyle. I would imagine if you got B12 naturally, it would come from something you ate, not from something you smoked. And then the other thing is you have influencers, hawking products that they get paid for, and that sort of thing. And also going back to the scientific research that they say, take a look at our scientific research. Most people won't take the time to look at what you were just talking about.
1: Right. And that's something that they can put up there to make it, it appear that they have done their homework and that they know that once again, they're providing a product that is safe. The best ways to get vitamin B12, you probably have to talk to a dietitian about that. But absolutely, we're seeing, it's interesting that these are technically some of these products, they're really trying to make a clear distinction that they are not tobacco products. And it's important because the FDA regulates the claims that a tobacco company, you know, manufacturer or retailer can make. And so talking about a product promoting wellness and health would never be allowed with a tobacco product unless those claims could somehow be substantiated. And they and they can't. And so these companies um, that are producing these vitamin vapes or these products that are essentially e-cigarettes that are just having adding vitamins into their solvents are trying to make a distinction that we are not tobacco products because that puts them into a different category, and then they can make a lot of these claims without having to you know, prove that they're true. Um, and it's a really challenge in where these gray areas are where a product essentially looks almost identical to a, an e-cigarette, which is a tobacco product, but they are saying we are not a tobacco product, and therefore we can make different types of claims that don't have to be um, substantiated.
2: I think this is like the worst of the world of wellness marketing. I mean, there's no way this is good for folks and it's just profit blinding people to the potential risk to their consumers.
0: So one of the things when it comes to the marketing of it I saw with these vitamin vapes is that it's more toward a vegan, or a vegetarian lifestyle who normally would not be able to get V12 through food consumption. They would either have to take it as a vitamin or something like this.
1: I think what they're trying to, once again, this is a marketing you know, scheme or strategy where their target audience is perhaps somebody that would be, you know, see appeals of identifying this product as vegan or is... I mean, with this, but this is something that's been done with, with tobacco products, with electronic cigarettes as well, too. I've seen products listed as being kosher, as being vegan, as being uh, organic. Um, And in fact, some of these I've seen as organic too. These are words that, you know, carry heavy weights with consumers. When you think of organic, some people may think it costs twice as much, but they also associate it with being I'm gonna pay twice as much because it's safer, it's better for the environment, it's, um, you know, I think I saw another one that said it was not tested on animals. So they're really trying to create some attributes or qualities and characteristics of these products that would appeal to their target audience. It may have, I mean, nothing to do with what they're actually their products are, but they just if they can put a label on that that may absolutely appeal to to the some of their target audiences.
2: I think it's yeah, it's, it really highlights the need for media literacy and the ability to sort of sort through advertising claims of is this just hype? Is this just targeting a part of the segment of our audiences. I mean, we, we know that there's sort of a halo effect from words like natural and organic that make the product seem safer, even if it's not. And marketers know that, and these companies know that as well.
0: People just want to be healthier and they're not going to take the time necessarily to do the research. Well, even if they did,
1: what's the research saying at this point in time? I just, I think that's concerning to me is when you see that we have decided, or, you know, we have research to support that on tobacco products, like Joseph is saying, that certain words make people choose some products over others, such as natural, I mean, you know, you can't say those on certain, because uh, it implies a reduced harm or, um, you know, less risk for those products. And you can't say things like low or mild or light because we know that people think associate those words with less harm. But those same rules and laws that we've made for tobacco products, we can't transfer to these products that would then be considered a vitamin or supplements. And the harms may be very similar across those products, but because of how they're categorized, they may not, you know, the the same rules can't be used. And therefore we have one group of products that are allowed to market in one way and one group of products that may have very similar health outcomes that um, can't use those same marketing, you know, characteristics or strategies.
0: Final thoughts about these new devices and the loophole for the puff bars.
1: I think the puff bars really represents an example of how the industry will respond to weak regulations and that's a demonstration of why we need to have very clear guidelines of what the purpose of a regulation is for and uh, how we can create a regulation or a guidelines to achieve that purpose and these puff bars are clearly getting around a regulation that was trying to prevent people from using a specific product that had flavors especially youth and has essentially made this regulation obsolete and not effective.
2: Joseph? I agree. I think the other thing for everyone to think about is that there's still going to be risk of these pro- products increasing the likelihood of addiction among youth, and people need to be aware of the resources that are out there to help with quitting. So there's the Quitline at 1-800-QUIT-NOW that's available across the country. There's the Food and Drug Administration's Every Try Counts Uh, program and the Truth Initiative runs a text-based program to help teens quit vaping. All of those are out there as resources to help folks quit in what is going to continue to be an epidemic across the country.
0: Dr. Eric Soule and Dr. Joseph Lee, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thank you. It was a pleasure.
0: Well, that is it for this episode of Talk Like a Pirate. We hope you found Dr. Lee and Dr. Soul's information helpful as our society navigates new and evolving vaping products. Thank you so much for listening. Until the next time, always be yourself, unless you can be a pirate. Then always be a pirate.